Hey, you're listening to the Upper Room Podcast. To learn more about Upper Room, please visit URDallas.com. Worship was awesome. That was a really, really holy moment. Um, That was a holy, holy offering that we brought to the Lord. I'm really proud of our team. Um, Our God is great. He really is. And 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 we're we're declaring that Psalm Psalm 126. It's a it's a song of the ascent. When they're when they're when they're going to the festivals, they would read these songs. But um, it says, when the Lord brought back the captives um, from Zion. We were like those who dreams, our mouth was filled with laughter, our tongues with sh- joyful shouting. And then, and then they said among the nations that the Lord has done great things for them, and the Lord has done great things for us. And then it says, those who sow in tears will reap with joyful shouting. He who goes to and fro weeping, carrying his bag of seed, shall indeed come back with a harvest of joy. And, and so when we came under that, the, the greatness of God... Um, it's really brought a lot of comfort to my heart because we have been a house in mourning this week. Um, this, has been, this, is, this has been one of the toughest weeks of my life. Um, and and I'm, I'm preaching from a very vulnerable place. I, I, <laughs> you guys probably relate to this, but I had... Have you ever read Brene Brown's book? Like about... What's it called? No, her first one about... Is it like vulnerability, isn't it? Is that what it's called? Anyway, it's a great book. Um, but she talks about having a vulnerability hangover in there. And man, I was hungover after this morning. Um, but, but I'm not, I'm not going to shy away from the state of my heart because I think it's really important um, for me to be, to be really true and, and vulnerable and honest with you about where I'm at. Because um, I'm, I'm mourning a loss this week. Um, how many of you were here last Sunday night? Raise your hands. Okay. Um, we had prophetic ministry. Do you remember that? Do you remember who was standing in the corner right over there? Remember my friend Terry? My buddy didn't know it was Terry, and I'm like, you don't know Terry. <laughs> it's just still, I can't believe you didn't know who Terry was. Everyone knows who Terry. If you knew Terry Lindsay, raise your hand. Okay. Um, so Terry was an elder in our community. Um, he came the first couple of weeks of the upper room. Him and his family has a family of seven, and then there's an entourage that they travel with, and we had about 20 people. And so when they came, it was like an you know, instant, like our community doubled, like a 100% increase. <laughs> and, um, and that night, I, I actually pointed to Terry. We were doing some communion um, stuff, and um, I just knew he was a father, and I asked him to lead a section. Um, and my good friend Jason uh, came up to me and said, that man who led that group is a special man. He's a true father. And um, Jason would, a couple of years later, become his son-in-law. It's the first time that they met. He married his oldest daughter. And uh, they've just been family. We've walked a long, long time together. Uh, but last Sunday, he got, he got this prophetic word. We talked 20 minutes after the word. He was super exuberant, excited. He went to dinner with Aaron and Sarah Beth. And um, he went to sleep that night, and he didn't wake up. He went to be with the Lord. Incredible way to go. <laughs> he closed his eyes and he met Jesus. And you know, Paul says to, to die is to gain, to live is Christ. And Terry, Terry graduated to heaven. Terry ran a phenomenal race. Terry's the most 
remarkable father I think I've ever known. And, um, and so we, we've just been processing as a community. Clendons are here. It's Taylor and Michaela. They flew in from Hawaii. Is Robin here? Robin flew in from Indonesia. Is she here? I, I think they're watching. The family's watching. Um, we had a ton of people travel in. We packed out this place on Friday and honored uh, Terry's life. Uh, Wednesday night, we had a night of mourning, which was incredible healing for me just to be around other people that are hurting. But I just want you to know if you're here tonight that, that, that we're, we're a house that's mourning. Um, are any of the boys here? Is that Nathan? Do I see any of the Lindsay's here? I just want to honor them. They did a phenomenal job honoring their, their dad. Um, but we're a house of mourning. Ecclesiastes 7 actually says it's better to be in the house of mourning than the house of feasting. Ecclesiastes 7, it's a great scripture. Um, it says it, it's better to be in a house of mourning than a house of feasting. Um, but, but I don't know many of us that have actually, we're very young. We're a, we are like millennial central. <laughs> and I love that, especially on Sunday nights. But most of you, um, most of you have probably never had loss. Um, for some of you, I know this is the most significant loss that you've had. I know for me personally, uh, I'm 41 and Terry's the closest person to me that's passed. So it's just been an array of emotions for me. And, um, and so I want to help us process it as a community. I think it's really important that we pause and, and, and we process uh, where we're at. Um, we process uh, the road ahead. Um, and, and we allow Jesus to shepherd our hearts uh, through this season. Um, I, I believe there's some practical things that we can do. Um, I feel like there's some, I think there's some things that we're set up for now as a community to advance in. Um, I, I, I think, I just think there's a lot at hand. It's a very, very significant weekend for us as a community. And so I, I don't, I, you know, I know what to tell you. I mean, I can, I can unpack this and like I can, I can give you framework for it and I can, I can put, you know, some makeup on it and, and make you feel good and leave. But, but, but I, don't, I don't feel like that's my assignment tonight. I feel like my assignment tonight is, is to help you and help us position our hearts before our good and awesome and faithful shepherd and for him to meet us all and for him to take us on a journey and through a process as a community. I think for some of you, um, as we were praying, I feel for some, because you've never actually been in an environment like this and had leaders that will lead authentically and been around people that are as connected to their hearts and aware of the relationships that are around them and the love connection that we have and what we've stewarded and what, like what God has been doing, that this sets us up to really grieve and mourn well. Like grieving and mourning is so significant for our hearts. Uh, when you experience pain or loss, a natural effect of that is grief. And grief is so healthy for your heart, although it doesn't. It doesn't feel good. <laughs> There's a lot around that. And so I think for some of us, we may have shut our hearts down 
or not learned how to open up our hearts and really allow the Lord to heal our hearts through things that we've lost. And I saw a harvest of hearts coming through this season that Jesus binds up the brokenhearted, that Jesus draws near to the brokenhearted. And so there's this grace that I feel he's affording to us as a family to really receive from the Father to get our hearts bound up and positioned for advancement. So if you didn't know Terry, I want you to get to know him on a video that we have. This is from our global conference. Uh, This happened um, in May. We had a father's blessing, and this is Terry blessing us as a body. We may play this every weekend for the next like five years, all right? But this, to me, is the epitome of a father and a father's blessing. So just receive from one of the neatest men I've ever known. I thank Peter for speaking the word of truth. Peter spoke of the blood. And it really hit home. Because it's not your blood in your veins. It's the blood of Christ. It's his blood that flows. It's his blood that cleanses you. It's his blood that sanctifies you. It's his blood coursing through your veins, pulsing with your heartbeat as your heart sinks with Jesus. If you live in this posture, there's nothing that you cannot accomplish with him. If you live in this posture, in your business, your business will thrive because of the wise decisions that come forth. If you live in this posture, in your marriage, your marriage will flourish because you will see your spouse rightly. You will see the beauty of Christ in your spouse. You will see Jesus' face when you look at your spouse. If you're a child and you're in a family, I know that it can be difficult. But if you can lay hold of the idea of the reality that it's the blood of Christ pulsing through you, it's the blood of Christ that gives you life that sustains your life. Kids, your parents will become a blessing to you. And that's what you want. You want your parents to be a blessing, and they will be. Posture yourself to the blood of Christ. Link yourself to the blood of Christ. Let His heart be your heart. His heartbeat be your heart. Jesus. Yeah. Super amazing. Um, so, um, th- this, was, this was sudden. Uh, Terry had no known medical condition. Um, it was just a total shock. Uh, I had gotten... Um, off stage from preaching at CFNI, which we had a wonderful time at CFNI. Where are my CFNIers? You guys are... Something's not right with you guys. 
but we had so much fun. Um, I literally walked off and had a text from um, Shannon, and then Larissa said, come to the green room, and Taylor was on the phone, called Peter. Peter was already on his way out there. Um, you know, the family prayed that morning for him to be uh, raised. Um, the coroner took him, they did an autopsy, and uh, we spent about three to four hours on Wednesday morning over the body, um, expecting him to be raised. Because uh, that's what we do. And um, I won't get into all that happened, but there was a lot of closure that came um, through that. And then Wednesday night, we entered into mourning. Um, it was apparent that Terry was going to stay with the Lord. <laughs> and um, the family, I just want to talk about them for a second. Terry is, uh, said this at the funeral, one of the ways that I would describe in a word this man is wisdom. He was the embodiment of wisdom. He always spoke a better word. And uh, the wise man built his house really well. When the storm blew through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, um, every day that I've spoken to the family, their hearts are postured before the Lord and in faith. And uh, they're grieving and mourning, but they are moving forward in such a beautiful and holy way. There's a grace upon them. Uh, there's a grace upon the kids. There's a grace upon Robin. And it's a testament to this man and how he built because wisdoms vindicated are seen through her children. And we're going to see the wisdom of Terry Lindsay in this body for decades to come. Uh, wisdom's timeless, therefore Terry's timeless because of what he sowed inside of us. And man, I'm taking heart today, even though I'm, I'm, I'm playing injured today, I'm preaching injured, but I have a lot of hope for what the Lord's going to do through this. And I believe a harvest is going to come. I believe that what the enemy has intended for harm, he's overplayed his hand and we're set up for justice. We're set up for a harvest of fathers, we're set up for a harvest of sons. And I'm about to get after you in a little bit about what that means. But before I do, because um, <clears throat> I want to I process some things uh, in, the, in the word, but I, I really feel like it's important um, that we talk about grief and the purpose of grief. Because uh, again, grief has a purpose and grief puts a demand upon our souls. And, and I know that not everyone's grieving in here. I know that some of you, that was just uh, a man that you didn't know, or maybe a man that you casually knew, but for many of us, that man was the truest expression of a father that we had ever known. And so I just ask that you mourn with those that are mourning and you lend us your hearts as a house. And you sit in this moment with us. And what, what we saw this morning is the Lord actually ministered to those very deeply that weren't connected to the story. And I feel like he's going to do that again tonight. Um, and so uh, we have a number of shepherds, uh, amazing shepherds. You are surrounded by uh, godly men and women uh, that love you and shepherd you well. Um, the Smiths are over here. I see the Springs, the Stokes, the Bradys were here today. Um, and yeah, I, I, and so the Verklers um, are a part of that team. And, um, and the Lindsays, obviously, but the Verklers. And, and Mark is a professional counselor. He's been a professional counselor for a few decades. He's a, a man of wisdom when it comes to the heart, when it comes to processing grief. And I've just asked him to share for about 10 minutes 
Um, and it's so beautiful what the Lord has given him just to help us process um, the emotions tied to an event like this. So this is my buddy, Mark Verkler. I want to start with some declarations and just permission. So in Jesus' name, I declare freedom to open your heart, permission to grieve. May vows be exposed, lies be uncovered, freedom to be who God has created you to be. Freedom to grieve, freedom to weep, and freedom to love. You know, a few years back, I was reading and meditating in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. And in Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, it's usually we think about it at Christmas. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. You know, in the Old Testament, he's the Prince of Peace. In the New Testament, he's the King of Peace. But in verse 7, it says, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. And I remember meditating on that and saying, oh, Lord, this is great. My family, my community, my state, my country, the world, the universe. But as I was meditating, he said, it's also inside of you, in your soul, as you Give me parts of your soul to govern. There will be peace that comes into your soul. Now you think about it for a minute. When you have a great loss like we've had, this is a new territory to invite the Lord into. It's a new territory. And I want to tell you, the closer you were to Terry Lindsay, the bigger the territory. And you can't just snap your fingers on this territory. You have to walk through it. You have to walk through it, and it's going to take time, but as you give him permission to govern that territory, it's guaranteed there will be peace that comes. Now, Jesus Christ is perfect theology. Jesus wept. Jesus got angry. You can't imitate God unless you weep and get angry. Now, the Bible says, be angry and yet do not sin. We could talk a whole sermon on that. But Jesus got angry and Jesus wept. Isaiah 53, 8 says, Jesus is a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. That word acquainted is the word yada. It means joined with. It means knowing in an intimate way. Jesus knew sorrow and grief in an intimate way. And in Hebrews 5.8, listen to this. It says, though he were a son, yet he learned obedience through the things he suffered. Can you imagine? Jesus had to learn obedience. He had to grow in obedience. How did he do that? Well, number one, I will tell you, if he was a man of sorrows and grief, he had to learn and grow in grieving with integrity. He didn't stuff it down. He didn't put it away. He had to embrace it. He had to bring it to the Father. So he grieved with integrity. Number two, he had to overcome offense. And we see this. We see this. If you look at Matthew 11, you see him angry with the cities that would not repent. 
And then he turns and says, I thank you, Lord, or Father, Lord of heaven and earth. What's he doing? He's making sure that no offense toward God comes in. Right? He had to learn to overcome offense, and he had to overcome self-pity because when we get hurt, when we have really been hurt, it's a real temptation to stay down in the dumps and to feel sorry for ourselves. Now, think about it. Some people think as you angry, but it's really the opposite. As we become more like Christ, more like God, injustice becomes clearer to us. We're going to be like the Apostle Paul. What did he say? He was pretty advanced. He said, I almost lost Epaphroditus and I would have had sorrow upon sorrow. No stoic person here. No stoic person. I remember a few years back, I was speaking with a woman and she said she had been grieving and mourning for months over some very, very deep wounds. And she finally cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, why all these tears? Why all this grieving? When's it going to stop? And, you know, he answered her in a way that she wasn't expecting. He said, he said, you know, I could have made it so that you cried in a private way, that the tears came out in a secret place on your body, but I didn't. I made them come right down your face because you have to face the test of that fear of man. You have to taste, face the test of whether you will choose to grieve. And guess what? It's a test for all of us too. Will you weep with those who weep? Or, or will you kind of slink away? Will you give them a big Terry Lindsay hug? Right? It's a test. So, you know, years ago, probably back in the 80s, there was a big research study on tears. They took a group of people... And they had them all chop onions, and they collected the tears, and they analyzed them. It was just salt water. That's it. They had them all watch a really sad movie, and most of the people, maybe all of them, cried. And they collected their tears individually, and they analyzed them, and they were full of toxins. Do you know that? When you cry tears of grief, you are getting toxins out of your body. Do not be deceived. The devil wants the toxins to be produced and stay inside you or to come out in a way to hurt others. But God wants you free. He wants you free to grieve. He wants all the poison out. He's taking care of all of it. So think about this. For a moment, the five classic stages of grief. Number one, it's denial. What's denial? I'm rejecting reality. And, and, and everybody does it. I was telling Michael the other day that, man, it didn't really hit me that Terry died. It didn't start hitting me till really Tuesday night. I mean, I knew it Monday at 11, but I just couldn't get it. It was, and it's natural. It's like that reality is pushed away, but we can't keep it pushed away. We have to start bringing it in. Right? Because, because the definition of insanity, it's not really doing the same thing over. It's really out of touch with reality. We have to be in touch with reality and moving towards reality. So that first stage that can last a while is denial, but we have to push through it. The second one is anger. We talked about anger. What's anger? 
It's a reaction to a perceived injustice. I tell people, yes, our perception's not always accurate, so our anger is not always righteous, but God's anger, God's perception is always righteous. And so his anger is always righteous. But we have to move through that, even if it's messy, even if it's sloppy. We're gonna, we may be angry. We may be offended over some grief that we've done. And we've got to be honest. Now, the third stage is bargaining. Bargaining is where you're trying to make some sense out of it. And sometimes you can't make sense out of it. But you're trying to figure out, well, what if this or what if that or what if this or whatever. You're trying to make some sense out of it. But... At some point, you have to get to the purest form of the grieving. And that's the depression. That's the sadness. That's the tears. That's the purest form. Now, finally, that's, that's stage four. Finally, as we move through that, we're trying to get to the place of acceptance. And I want to tell you, though, when we talk about grieving, there's several things that can keep us from grieving. One of them is a vow. Maybe you went through something where you really got hurt and you made a vow that said, I am not going to let something like that hurt me again. I'm not going to open my heart. Well, you have bound your soul to something and you have to renounce it. You have to renounce it. I renounce the vow that I won't open my heart to a person or I won't open my heart to God. So we're praying tonight that the vows would be uncovered and exposed so you won't be making new ones if you're grieving right now for our brother. And, and then there's beliefs, right? A lot of us grow up with beliefs. Men don't cry or, or, or you have to be strong or I have to be strong for someone else. And those are beliefs you need to lay before the Lord because so many of them are really, are really holding you back. Um, I want to tell you just a quick story, and I'll be wrapping up. But a few years back, I was at a, a writing conference for Rick, that Rick Joyner and his, his sister lead out in North Carolina. Some of you may know Rick Joyner is a prominent pastor and prophet and author. And while we were having dinner one evening, there was a few of us around a table. I just went over after dinner and picked up a book randomly. And I'm looking through the pages, I don't, uh, and, and I'd never read the book. But I get to a place where Rick says, a few years back, I was in Dallas, and I was at a, uh, one of my friends is a businessman there, and his office overlooks downtown Dallas. And he said, he said I got a, a vision from God that a great revival was coming. And, and he said, it's going to be a revival founded on love. And, and, I, and I went over to Rick, and I said, Rick... I think I'm going to a church body right now that's going to be a part of that. And I look back as Terry Lindsay died, and I look at all the seeds of love that he planted in this house. He planted all kinds of seeds of love. And I just want you to, to remind you, there's two kinds of love we could think about. Feeling love, we all love to feel love, but there's willing love. Making a choice. I promise you, Terry didn't always feel like loving, but he made the choice to do it over and over and over. He willed to love. Don't wait to forgive until you feel like forgiving. Don't wait to love until you feel like loving. God asks us to nourish and cherish. And that's what love is, to nourish and cherish. 
I want to finish with a quote from C.S. Lewis. And grieving is a part of loving. It, they're, they're, they have, they're, they're combined. They're always connected. C.S. Lewis said, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. After all, he said, almost the main work of life is to come out of ourselves. Out of the little dark prison we are all born in. All things are to be avoided which retard this process. The danger is that of coming to love the prison. Your heart needs vulnerability like your body needs oxygen. I'm going to pray for you right now. Father, open our hearts that you may govern. Lord, if there are vows that are keeping us from grieving over this or anything in our lives, Lord, may they be exposed and broken. Lord, open our hearts to be honest with you. There are places in our souls that you do not fully govern. Lord, uncover those, Lord. We are willing to be made willing to give you that territory, to let the Prince of Peace, the King of Peace, come and govern. And we say this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to send a, an email out just with some tools and some practical ways. If you're, uh, if you're dealing with grief or if grief comes up through this process, which I hope it does, um, especially if you've had sudden loss and you've never processed it, um, this is a great place to process that. Uh, and so we're going to give you some tools and people that uh, you can connect with. Um, you know, one of the things in my grief that I found, uh, I found this... This, this thing in my heart as I sat on it, um, and it was a question. And I think sometimes, and Mark, you would know better, so anything I say that needs to be corrected, just do it next week. Um, but I feel like sometimes when we grieve, there's, there's questions that grief demands answers to. So as your heart starts to grieve, it's surrounded by questions and it's demanding an answer. And one of the things that has just hit me is, is why? Like he got a prophetic word. He's on my board. He's on like every board that I have. The prophetic word was about the board. And I mean, there's just like, why? I, it just, it's there. It's there. And, and underneath the why, here's another interesting thing. Underneath the why is a lot of frustration and anger because I'm addressing it to the Lord. There's a why, and that why is to him. And, and I, I want to go there. And here's why I want to go there is because if you don't deal rightly with that question, you're going to make up some jaded weird, twisted views about him. 
but you can't ignore the question. So what do we do? Because I, I see two camps. I see one camp that just explores it and comes up with this weird view of his character and nature and that he's, he's actually the one that did it. And then I have this other group that, that, that refuses to go there and just in faith grit their teeth that they don't experience the pain of the question. And, and here's what I felt the Lord show me. Because I'm taking my why to the who. Yeah. And the who is bigger than the why. Yeah. And listen, if you're going to follow the who, <laughs> hear me. If you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to experience pain and loss. And when you do, when you do, he doesn't have to answer all your questions. That's why he's Lord. Like, mystery is a part of the kingdom. It's a high, high, high part of the kingdom. And if you, if we can't learn to embrace mystery and like, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to yield and surrender my right to understand, it's hard to advance. Because here's what you find, like the promise, the promise in this process so let's say you're grieving something. Let's say there's a why. And I want to call whys up in hearts because I feel like the why, it paralyzes us as believers. And what happens, what happens if that why isn't taken to the who? Again, we get locked up. But when we do take it to the who, because in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no harm or I will feel, fear no evil. And there's five words. It says, for you are with me. So the promise in the shadow that we're walking through is the presence. And the why demands answers to questions that only the presence of Jesus can source. Only the presence of Jesus can provide answers that your heart is asking. But when he answers it, albeit typically it's not it's not in the framework or it's not as you would want him to answer, there's a freedom that comes in his voice. And I've watched, I've watched people in Lost sit with the why, they've brought it to the who, and I've watched them advance from faith to faith, hope to hope, strength to strength. I saw it in the family, I'm seeing it in my own heart, I'm seeing the Lord encounter my heart in ways and revealing things about him through the life of Terry and through this situation that I couldn't have imagined, but it's only when I come to the who and I don't lock up. Listen, God did not cause this. It was not his will. But let me tell you what God will cause to come out of this. Romans 8, it's like a famous text. It says, it's 826-ish. I've been feeding my heart this. 28. 26 is good too. It's about the spirit helping us in our weakness. He intercedes. He searches the heart. And then 28, can you put this up there? It says, mm, mm, that ain't the translation I like. <laughs> Why do you do that to me? You guys always do that to me. That's Peter's translation. We need to pray for Peter. Come all the way over, bro. Listen to this. And we know that God causes all things. Listen, that's not what it says. 
Keep reading. It says, and we know that God causes all things to work. To work what? For the good. God causes all things to work for the good. He brings his goodness through all things. God doesn't cause all things, but God causes all things to work for his good. Psalms 27, I would have despaired. I would have despaired. I would have lost heart, but I know that I will taste the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. God is good in the face of death, in the face of loss. I want to declare to you that God is good. That the who is a good who. He's good. He's really good. The presence will source us. It's, I mean, Terry Lindsay himself put this up. He's the one that hung that up for us. He's a contract. He's like, Mr. Fix it, man. I'm praying that I'll receive that, Lord, just his mantle for that. I mean, he could do anything. But that, that actually isn't easy to hang up to get it, like, level and everything. And so he was studying it and thinking through it. But he hung that up. That's the vision. That's the mantra. That's the heart behind our community, that the presence of Jesus transforms lives. The presence is the answer. The presence is our source. And the presence comes through the word. The presence comes through community. The presence comes through worship. The presence comes through us putting our hearts before him. But when the presence comes, there's just this peace, and that peace surpasses understanding. That peace begins to guard our hearts and our minds. That peace begins to solidify something in us. And what I found great comfort in is the comforter and the way that he has brought comfort to my heart is first and foremost through peace. And it's a peace that comes like in my grief and in my pain and when I'm crying. I went to the restroom during worship and someone came up to me. I just started bawling. But as I was bawling, I could just sense the nearness of God. I could sense his peace in my pain. I wasn't running from my pain. I wasn't thinking something's wrong with me because I have pain. I'm like, I'm very human, and I need the comforter to come and to give me peace. You need to source my heart with peace. You're the prince of peace. His peace, though you'll have trouble in this world, take heart. We talk a lot about the day of trouble and the day of trouble is here. Listen, this may be uncomfortable for some of you and I hope it is. I'm not as messy as I was this morning. I was a mess this morning. But we're a messy church and we're going to just lay it all out there. We're not plasticky and pretty. We have those places. This just isn't that, all right? There's, you can, and I'm to each their own, but we're just not that. We're a messy place. And we're going to take our time and we're going to process this well. So there's a scripture that, that, that I take heart in here um, when it comes to questions and asking questions in the midst of suffering. It's Matthew chapter 11, so flip over there with me. Um, it's a story that has just been an anchor for me, especially in, in, in the kingdom and advancing the kingdom and living this, this, with this mandate of thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, um, you know, the battle, we're in a battle. There's a battle at hand tonight. We're fighting the good fight of faith to strengthen our faith. But I, I, I relate to John the Baptist here. Um, John the Baptist was in prison. Um, John the Baptist was uh, not expecting to be in prison. Life took a hard turn for John the Baptist. 
Something happened. John the Baptist had an expectation for where he was going and what he was doing, and then all of a sudden life went, <laughs> Have you ever had a, <laughs> have you had an irk? We had an irk as a community, but I want you to think of your irk. If you haven't had an irk and you're young, you're going to have an irk, and you need to listen to this because this will help you in your, <laughs> over here. Who's had an irk? Okay, who's had an irk? Okay, good. Irks? Lots of irks. Okay, everyone has had an irk. And when you've had that irk, there's questions that arise. What do you do with the irk? Well, what John the Baptist is, he sent his disciples with his irk, and he said this. He said, are you the expected one, or should, should we look for someone else? Question mark. Now, it's so weird, because John was the forerunner. He was the one, I think it's Isaiah 40, he was the voice in the wilderness crying out, preparing the way for the Lord. He was the one increasing everyone's expectation for the expected one. This was his ministry. And yet because of his, this question is arising, and I think he's questioning everything about his ministry, about his circumstance, about what he had given his life to. And I think he's questioning the identity of Jesus. Who was Jesus? Jesus was the one that this man proclaimed. Behold! What did he say? Behold! The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He was the one that gave that proclamation, but here he is in a prison and he's questioning, are you the expected one? John baptized Jesus. John was in his mother's womb, leaping through the power of the Holy Spirit as a little kid. John knew Jesus, but because of his circumstance, he is thrown into a tailspin and he's questioning a lot, are you the expected one? This is so crucial for us because we're in a battle and those irks want to take us out. And this irk was attempting to take John the Baptist out. Really, he's processing a lot. This is his big why. Why am I in prison? Maybe they were beating him. Maybe he was unfairly treated. Maybe he was in despair. I, you know, there's just a lot going on in his heart. But this is a significant question by a significant man. After this text, Jesus would say about this man, he would describe this man as the greatest man to be born of a woman in the Old Testament. Like the, 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 the esteem that Jesus gave this man, this is a significant man, better than Elijah, better than Elisha, better than Jeremiah, Isaiah, the greatest right here asking a question. You see the significance of it. I, I, I want to build this up for you. This is a big, big moment in John's life. So he sends his disciples to the right person sends it to God, sends it to Jesus, and Jesus responds. Jesus says, go and report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Go and proclaim to him what I'm doing. This wasn't the answer John wanted. Then Jesus concludes his statement, and blessed is he who does not take offense at me, who does not stumble over what I'm doing. So here I'm walking into the Lindsay household, and uh, I get a text. As I'm walking into the Lindsay household, I get a text. And I didn't check it, um, just going through a lot. And so I get in my car at their house, about to back up. 
And it's from um, Cindy Johnson. And Cindy is a worship leader dear to our family, and most of y'all know her. Um, And this is what the text says. It's amazing. It's from her mom. Her mom had uh, pancreatic cancer. That's, that's, a, that's a big diagnosis. Yeah. It's, are they here? Are the Johnsons here? Yay. You texted me this week, this text. And it says this. It says, yes, my own doctor said no cancer on the CT screen. food for my soul driving away. The temptation at times when there's loss is to feed on what he's not doing. And in sorrow to feed on our loss. But we have to lay hold of his nature and what he is doing. It's a big thing. And we take heart. And here's what we take heart in. Because if you read this text, like as I'm, as I'm wrestling with this text, like I, I want to, I want to, I want the juice in the text. This is our life. And I'm like, big question, John, Jesus said this. So there's, there's a promise to John. This is what I'm learning, is that in every circumstance, the voice of the Lord, there's a promise. And there's a promise here. It says, so he talks to John, he's the blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up. It's in there. And I believe Jesus specifically mentioned that. He didn't mention the captives are free, which he could have because it's Isaiah 61, but he said that the dead are raised up. Why is that significant? Because John, I don't know if it was days later, weeks later, a month later, however long, but John's fate is that he would be martyred. Hear me. John would die. He would die a brutal death. Herodias' daughter would do a strip tease in front of the king, and the king would give as a party favor the head of John the Baptist. It's the spirit of Jezebel. The spirit of Jezebel would literally cut off the prophet's head and she would, he would be offered. Why is that significant? Here's what's significant about that is I believe Jesus knew the fate of John and Jesus knew John's eternal reward for being a martyr. Meaning his perspective wasn't John in the prison. His perspective was for eternity what that gateway would afford him in the afterlife. I had a buddy that had a dream And John the Baptist visited him. This is the most... John the Baptist came to him. And John the Baptist, where his head head is now back on his body. It's cool. But 
But the scar, listen to this, the scar in the dream, the scar in the dream was bursting forth, radiating with the glory of God. In Revelation, it talks about the martyr's reward. They have the highest reward in the age to come. I think Jesus is looking at John's plight saying, oh, this light and momentary affliction is producing an eternal weight that's it's just so weighty, and for eternity, it will bring glory to the man, Jesus, because of what you endured for his name's sake. There's something about the eternal perspective in the temporal. We're contending for the now, but the not yet. There's this tension that we will consistently live in, and it's called the good fight of faith. And later in this text, Jesus himself would say, the kingdom of heaven suffers violent, but the violent in faith take it by force. And listen to me. I believe Terry Lindsay, he is in heaven with Jesus. I don't think he wants to come back. As great of a life as he had here, he is with Jesus. We can't fathom where he is. We cannot fathom it. We can't. And there's this eternal perspective that we take heart in, we take hope in, and we know. Yeah. We know. Yeah. We know that. But we also, we also know that we're in a battle. And we also know that I believe this was a casualty in battle. Terry was a general. He was a general. If you know what God's doing in the upper room and what he's positioning us for on the earth, the nations are being touched by this house. There's a move of God that's coming forth from this community. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's not about us. It's, if you know my heart, I'm not, I'm not after influence. I'm not. But it's the fruit of what we're doing, and I'm not afraid of it either. And in this process, though, of God touching the earth, we are in a war. We just are. And we need to be sober-minded about that. And we need to be aware that a life has been sown in the ground. It's a father. And the Bible actually says in John chapter 12 that unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, what is it? I wrote it down. It's really good. The hour has come, son of man to be glorified. Truthfully, I say, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And I believe that Terry's life was a seed sown into the ground, and we are going to reap a harvest of many things through that. And listen to me. Listen to me. I believe the enemy has overplayed his hand. I believe the enemy has overplayed his hand. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 31, it says, if the thief is caught, the thief is caught. It's like we, we understand that a, a hungry man steals for bread, but if that man is caught, if that man is caught, he must give back or pay back seven times what was stolen. And I believe we're positioned for justice, divine justice in the courts of heaven for a sevenfold return. And my expectation is a seven-fold return of families, like upper rooms, seven-fold return of fathers like Terry, which means there will be dozens of fathers that are raised up that love like Terry. 
Listen, I'll tell you the type of father Terry was. Let me tell you the type of father Terry was. I don't know of a father as selfless as Terry and a family that was willing to share their father. I mean, he had seven kids. That's a full-time job in itself, much less all of you that he was fathering, which was a lot of you. I, I looked up my text. I was like, I just want to hear Terry's voice. I was looking up, uh, not text, voicemails. And I had a dozen. I have a dozen on here. I could play them. And they're all about y'all. Hey, I just wanted to update you about this marriage. Hey, I wanted to update you about uh, this, um, this single Hey, I wanted to tell you, I had to talk to the authorities today. This isn't necessarily connected to our community, but I was pastoring this one family, and then it led to another family, and I've actually uncovered a pedophile ring in Irving. And I've talked to the sheriff, and I just, you just need to be aware of it. It's not going to harm the upper room, but that was a shepherd standing on our wall protecting us. He lived that way. Another one, another one. He's like, he called me and said, hey, uh, uh, that husband that we've been praying for, he didn't come here, but his wife came here. Yeah, there's a restraining order on him. I've got the picture on my phone. We're going to send it out to the staff. But like, he was just so involved in everything. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Aaron and Sarah Beth are here. They're, they're, they're newlyweds, and they have a dog, and they got a house, and the dog needed a doggy door. And the doggy door, bro. <laughs> <laughs> and Terry Lindsay heard about it. And so what did Terry do? Terry drove over to their house in Arlington. Terry lives in Terrell. Terrell's an hour from here. Arlington's 30 minutes. So that's at least three hours out of his day in the car. Guess how long it took him to put the doggy door in? Seven hours. Aaron at the end of it said, hey, Terry, uh, I want to pay you some money. Thanks for coming over. And Terry looks at Aaron and says, you don't pay a father to serve a son. This man was a father. If you were here on Friday and heard the memorial, you heard all of his kids stand up and testify. You know, my dad was never disappointed in me. I mean, it's just this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. What's my point? My point is, it's time for some of you men to become fathers. It's time for you to step up and into the inconvenience of living a sacrificial life and being a father. It wasn't convenient. It wasn't like he always felt like it, but he was always willing and man, I believe a house of fathers is going to be raised up. I have this image, I have this image of the Lord. I was re grieving on a Wednesday night. Finally, like, totally hit me, and it's by myself. And this image of Terry, and I was up in heaven. Like, I don't know if I was actually there. I don't use that language very. I had an image of heaven, and I'm coming near the throne of God. And all of a sudden, I see Terry's little gray-headed helmet, you know, his hair. <laughs> he's like, and, and he's got his hands up, and he's really close to Jesus, and he's worshiping. It's much like that video. And then all of a sudden, it's like he knew I was walking in. And he was like, doing this, but he didn't want to take his eyes off Jesus. And then he just yelled this one word, looking at me. He said, advance. Just grip my heart. Advance. 
I want us to advance. We're going to grieve. We're going to walk through this process. But I believe it's unto harvest. I believe it's unto family. I believe it's unto wholeness. I believe it's unto those Lindsay kids. I think we're about to see a side of them we've never seen bursting forth. I'm just so proud of Taylor and the brothers. They're just amazing. But I think it's time for us to advance. This is the hour. Doesn't mean you have to be perfect. Doesn't mean you have to be I don't know if there ever will be a Terry, but it's just you being you and stepping into who he made you to be. Are you following me? It's like, come on, man. There's too much at hand. There's too much at stake. And I just feel like, man, the enemy overplayed his hand. 